0: Science story, huh? Is that all you scientist the felt, felt, I, felt right. but I was so and I, just happy. Thought, well, I figured it wow. out?
1: I it was fun. that well.
2: golden moment because science was on my side. Hi everybody. Welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. I am your host, Aaron Barker. And this week we're presenting stories about fresh ideas and creative solutions. Our two storytellers today have taken innovative approaches to completing their tasks, whether it's adding a little fire to a school project or treating an autoimmune disorder with hookworms. Our first story today is from Adam Rubin. It was recorded in July 2017 at Busboys and Poets 5th and K in Washington, D.C. The theme that night was pressure.
0: They say every science nerd has their day and this was supposed to be our day it's a day that we had dreamed of as far back as a year earlier in eighth grade when we took a tour of the high school and some of the kids heard them say things like next year in high school you'll get to go to football games and pep rallies and parties but for some of us we heard something different we heard them say next year you will take ninth grade introductory physical science with Mrs. Newsom, where you will build a Rube Goldberg machine. (laughs) For those of you who don't know what a Rube Goldberg machine is, it's a machine that uses vast, unnecessary complexity to accomplish a simple task. Um, You've probably seen them in cartoons. A marble rolls down a hill and then it lands on a glove and it pushes a sailboat and something crazy happens. I love Rube Goldberg machines. I've been obsessed with them ever since I was a kid. Probably ever since I saw that scene in the opening bit of Pee-wee's Big Adventure remember the machine makes and breakfast There was a kinetic sculpture Rube Goldberg machine in the lobby of the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia I would stare at that thing whenever we took a field trip there. I used to doodle theoretical Rube Goldberg machines on the paper grocery bag covers of my textbooks while sitting there in class It was my dream that someday for some reason I would have to build a Rube Goldberg machine and now I was gonna have to build a Rube Goldberg machine. This is not one of those assignments that you procrastinate. This is one of those things where they give it to you a month and a half in advance, and the moment I got that assignment sheet, I got to work. I started by assembling an elite team of science nerds. It was me, Steve, and Jared. And just to give you a sense of these guys, I think Jared is best embodied for me in the six words that he said to me when he was my seat partner on the marching band bus trip to Florida. And he woke up in the middle of the night from underneath the seat for some reason and he looked up and he said I have floss up my nose (laughs) And he did he had dental floss hanging out of his nose That's Jared I can't think of anything else that better defines Jaredness than dental floss hanging out of one's nose It wasn't the sort of thing you question. It was just, oh, well, of course, he's got dental floss hanging out of his nose, (laughs) it's Jared. So we got to work on this immediately and Jared and Steve and I, every day after school, every single day, we go to Jared's basement and build this Rube Goldberg machine because we decided that we were not just gonna build the best Rube Goldberg machine in the class. We decided we were gonna build the best Rube Goldberg machine in history. Our machine was going to simulate nine different natural disasters. Which were, in order, an avalanche, Godzilla pushing over a building, the sinking of the Exxon Valdez and the occurring oil spill, the uh, San Francisco earthquake, the Great Chicago Fire, a flood, a volcano made from potassium permanganate, the Tunguska meteorite, and finally, (laughs) a little ambitious, finally the greatest natural disaster of them all, the 1993 Phillies who had just lost the World Series thanks to the pitching of someone named Mitch Williams. So we had decided that our friend Pedram was going to represent Mitch Williams. He was going to have his chin down on the machine and as the final step, a mousetrap was gonna spring a pie into his face. <laughs> so we, we were hard at work in this machine for a few weeks when Mrs. Newsom came up to us in class and said, hey, I know you guys have already started. I hope you don't mind taking one more person into your group Gina doesn't have anyone to work with. Now, we didn't know Gina that well. She had, she'd just moved to our school from Vietnam, actually, and she was quiet, she seemed smart, she seemed nice, but would she have the same nerdy dedication to this project that we did? And it turned out, we didn't have to worry about Gina. She is actually very creative, she liked coming over to Jared's house and working with us on the project, we did not have to worry about Gina. We should have worried about Steve. (laughs) Somehow, the Rube Goldberg project brought out Steve's inner pyromaniac. And I don't know why, but I remember him sitting there in Jared's driveway. He'd light a match and use it to light the rest of the pack of matches. (laughs) And he'd throw the whole thing in the corner and just watch it smolder. We're like, Steve, get back to work. It's like, no, it's okay, guys. I bought 50 more packs of matches. Like, that's not the point. So we put a lot of time into this machine. Every single day we worked on it. And I guess if you think about it, it's because we had time. The other kids were not inviting us to the parties. So we had plenty of time to work on the Rube Goldberg machine. Night before it was due, we brought everything out to Jared's driveway and we assembled the whole thing for our final test run. And as we're setting it up, we realize kind of at the same time that, oops, this also happens to be our first test run. <laughs> because all the time we spent on this machine, we didn't actually spend it testing the whole machine in harmony. We would just build a piece, figure out that that piece worked, and then go use our time to build more pieces. So we had this big sprawling machine that had never been tested from front to back. And I know exactly what happened during this uh, test run because we have it on video. And you can basically watch piece after piece just collapse on the machine. We're all standing around going, no, 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 no. You can see Jared is standing there. It's not gonna work, you guys. It's not gonna work. You can hear me running down the driveway yelling, the adrenaline says it will. but we were not going to be dissuaded because this was supposed to be our day, right? This is what the other kids looked forward to coming out of us. They were never gonna cheer for us at a sporting event, but they wanted to see this amazing Rube Goldberg machine we were about to produce. So we get our confidence back, 6 a.m., we get up, put everything in the back of Jared's dad's truck. We roll into school like, Like, you ever seen one of those movies where they want to illustrate that a small group of people is a posse, so they have them walking in slow motion? That's us! We're just rolling in like that, and other kids are like, this is our machine. It has six steps. This is our machine. It has eight steps, and at the end, it puts a letter in a mailbox. We're like, yeah. Our machine has 61 steps. Jared, Steve bring it in and they come in with this massive sheet of plywood with the work we've spent the last month and a half it's like a monument to hot glue and kids are like oh my god that's your machine well that's piece 1a (laughs) gonna take a few trips to the truck so we set this thing up it occupies like a quarter of mrs. Newsom's classroom she lets us go last by the time it's our turn, all the kids are gathered around. They're eager to see this thing. We can hardly get near the machine to set it up and, and make little adjustments and, and push things down and clip them on and light the candles and, and tie the little strings. And I have the honor of dropping that first marble. I dropped the marble. Goes down a wooden ramp, lands in a cup, which is attached to a pulley, which yanks out a little stick, releasing the avalanche. The avalanche falls onto a lever, pushing up the other side of the lever, pushing over the building next to Godzilla. That building lands on a lever, which has two candles on the other side. The candles go up and cut through a piece of dental floss. Thank you, Jared. very useful contribution, which drops a fishing weight, sinking the Exxon Valdez, but the other candle cuts through another piece of dental floss, which reaches all the way across the board, holding back a piece of cardboard on four rubber bands, and on top of the piece of cardboard is a scale model of the city of San Francisco. City of San Francisco shakes, and sticking out of the city of San Francisco is a nail, and tied to the end of that nail is a small plastic cow, because Mrs. O'Leary's cow started the Great Chicago Fire of 1906 by kicking over a lantern, and that cow kicks over a lantern, which is represented by three candles sticking out of a block of wood, and as those candles are falling toward the city of Chicago, i flashback on something that I said hastily while we were setting up, and that is, you're in charge of the lighter fluid, Steve. (laughs) The city of Chicago goes up in flames. This massive column of fire reaches to the ceiling. I think Steve must have thought, well, we're not going to need this bottle after today. Mrs. Newsom, the uh, always vigilant ninth grade science teacher, had been standing nearby with her hand on the fire extinguisher. <laughs> so, before the fireball can singe all of our classmates' eyebrows off, she unloads this fire extinguisher all over the entire machine and this chalky yellow dust, which I've since learned is monoammonium sulfate floods the classroom. It gets in everyone's eyes and their mouths. Kids are running around the room. I can't see. I can't breathe. I need water. There's a tiny little part of me that thinks, well, this wouldn't have happened if you'd invited us to the parties. <laughs> Nobody has it worse than poor Pedrum, who had his chin down on the machine. <laughs> Pine never sprung up, but uh Monoammonium sulfate, he got that. He was <laughs> coughing for a month. And when the dust had literally settled, our machine had stopped right before the flood, which would have triggered the volcano and the Tunguska meteorite. And there was this chalky yellow dust on top of everything. And even though Mrs. Newsom let us come back later during her planning period to show her that the second half of the machine actually would have worked independently of the first half, the damage was basically done. I don't know where Gina is today. Uh, Jared, I know, has actually abandoned science in favor of the second nerdiest pursuit, clarinet. (laughs) And uh, Steve, the pyromaniac, is a surgeon. (laughs) Strangely enough, in Chicago. So (laughs) don't get injured in Chicago. And as for me, I became a molecular biologist. And I work at a small biotech company making a vaccine for malaria. I like what I do. I like what I'm working on I think it's important, but I think every scientist has these moments where they just start wondering if they're a fraud Where they start thinking do I deserve to be here? Is everyone gonna look at me one day and realize that I don't have the same feeling about science that they all do because even though I know I love science I know that it's been a long time since I've felt the way about a science project that I did about the Rube Goldberg machine. And does it make me a bad scientist that I can't recreate that level of excitement even for what I'm working on now? But I don't think that's it. I think the amount of time and enthusiasm I was able to put into that machine, I think it's just one of those things that you do when you're 14 and you just have So much time. Thanks. That was Adam
2: Rubin. Adam is a writer, comedian, moth story slam winning storyteller, and a molecular biologist. He has appeared on the Food Network, the Weather Channel, the Travel Channel, Discovery International, and NPR. And he currently hosts Outrageous Acts of Science on the Science Channel. He writes the humor column, Experimental Error, in the otherwise respectable journal, Science, and is the author of Surviving Your Stupid, Stupid Decision to Go to Grad School, and Penball Wizards, Jackpots, Drains, and the Cult of the Silver Ball. Before we move on to our second story today, I just want to issue a general reminder that though our podcast is based on real science, we do advise you not to take medical advice from our stories. So on that note, our next story is from Leah Schaefer. It was recorded in October 2017 at the Ready Room in St. Louis, Missouri, as part of our partnership with St. Louis Public Radio. The theme that night was resilience.
1: All right. Uh, This January, I received a very special package in the mail. Uh, In that package was a little dropper. Uh, The dropper contained liquid. In the liquid was uh, 10 parasitic worm larvae called hookworms. So, I dropped that liquid into a bandage and I slapped that bandage on my arm. And I waited a minute and it started to itch. Uh, and that meant those little hookworms, those baby worms, were burrowing into my skin and about to make the journey through my body to set up shop in my small intestine. I was super excited about this. <laughs> this really impulsive, stupid, kind of crazy. ACT was more fun than the status quo. And the status quo was doctor's appointments, uncertainty, and bleeding. So let me backtrack a bit. A couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease, a type of that called ulcerative colitis. Uh, what happens is your own immune system attacks the colon, the lining, and you get ulcers in there, and you bleed. People get diarrhea. Um, and abdominal pain. What I think happened is that uh, both my husband and I had gotten terrible food poisoning, and uh, he got better, but I didn't. Now, this is something that people can have as a mutation, and it can be triggered, uh, can be awakened by an infection. And this was probably the worst infection I'd ever had. And so I started to see blood in my stool, which is really disturbing. Uh, And I went to the doctor, and he said it's time to get a colonoscopy, which I did at age 35, and that sucked. Uh, and then doctor the gastroenterologist said, sorry, you've got colitis. Okay, fix me. Give me medicine. Make me better. The problem is that we don't have great medicine for autoimmune problems. Uh, it can help some people, for sure, but not everybody. And it seemed like the medicine I took wasn't really helping me much. I was bleeding every day. I had to go to the bathroom what seemed like a billion times a day. I didn't really even want to eat because it seemed like the food just went out of me right away. And of course I go to the dark side. I am I have anxiety and when I feel like my life is out of control, I get really really anxious and I start thinking dark thoughts like this is the end. I'm never going to be able to play with my kids again. I don't even know if I'll be there for my kids. And it was, it, the anxiety is almost the worst part. And fortunately, I also have another side to my personality an impatient control freak. Uh, and that impatient control freak grabbed the wheel and said, Shut up, anxiety, sit down. We're in charge and we're going to fix this. We're going to make it right. Uh, we don't have a medical degree, but whatever, we know how to use Google Scholar. We <laughs> got it. Now, I am also a science writer. So um, I write about all sorts of things, weird biology. And so a couple of years ago, I had written a story about people uh, using parasitic worms for their autoimmune problems. Now, why would they do that? Why would I do that? It ties into something called the hygiene hypothesis or the old friend's hypothesis. The idea is that for... All of the evolutionary history of humans, we have been riddled with parasites and fungus and viruses and microbes and dirt in all our crevices, and we're, we're gross. We're just gross animals, and these creatures lived in us, and some of us, some of those killed us. Yeah, those those creatures did kill us sometimes. Uh, but what didn't kill us made us stronger, and uh, the two of us the creatures and our immune system, they went back and forth, the immune system started to build weapons of mass destruction, trying to get rid of hundreds of parasites, and the parasites did the opposite. They they went kumbaya, they said, no, let's just chill. It's great, let's sing some sleepy lullabies to the guard dogs. And they got really good at kind of putting out these chemicals that were like, yeah, lullabies. And this went on and on uh, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And then we have modern society. And that's great, we live longer, we have sanitation, and we have processed food that is safe to eat, and our children live past childhood, that is really important. But (laughs) there's a downside, and that is skyrocketing rates of autoimmunity. We've noticed that in high-income countries, we have all these problems, like, like arthritis, or so many allergies, or lupus, or multiple sclerosis, or inflammatory bowel disease, inflammation. We are rich and healthy, but our immune system is going haywire. And that doesn't seem to happen in the the poorer countries that haven't quite got the right sanitation. So the idea is that we're missing our old friends. Some of our old friends did a good job of keeping our immune system in check. And so scientists have tested this theory. They have actually given people parasites for people who have inflammatory bowel disease. And as it turned out, it's pretty safe. And even better, it seemed to help people. The results were really promising. Um, When you're a science writer, you read a lot of studies, and you come across that phrase a lot. Results are promising, more research needed. And that's great, but the more research part is the part where it all stops, because more research costs a lot of money. And usually you get a lot of money from drug companies, and drug companies don't really want to be in the business of creating parasite zoos. Uh, It's not profitable. So the research sat except for a couple patients who thought in a similar way that I did. Uh, I guess we'll fix it since no one else will. And these patients all came together on a Facebook page, of course, um, called Helminth therapy. Helminth is just another word for a parasitic worm. And they pooled all their knowledge. And for simplicity's sake, I'm just gonna call it Worm Club. All right, so let me just pause a second and give you my don't try this at home speech. If you're all sitting out there and thinking, that lady is crazy, I totally agree with you. You should be skeptical. You should always be skeptical in life. Be skeptical of your doctors, ask questions, and always be skeptical of the person on stage saying, look at this miracle cure I've got for you. So please, continue to be skeptical. All right, so uh, Worm Club. And I, the thing is, I'm, I'm also, I know I'm standing on stage wearing like a dress with neurons that glow in the dark, but I'm a rational person, I really am. Um, <laughs> I believe in science, I believe in the, the, the system we have of, of making sure science is safe and medicine is safe, but so I've got this rational side, but I also have this impulsive, impatient side. I have no tolerance for a lack of control. And these two sides had to have a conversation. Uh, so rationally it says, you know, this is, this is not good. You're, you're, getting para- you're gonna have to get parasites from people off the internet. We don't know where those people have been. We don't know where those parasites have been. Just stick to the FDA approved medicine. And then uh, irrational Leah says, oh yeah, where has that gotten me? Nowhere. And then they're gonna say, we'll try this other medication, but it's got some scary side effects. And that won't work. And then they'll say, we'll try this other medication, but it's got even scarier side effects. And that won't work. And then they're just gonna say, I guess we'll have to take out your colon, sorry. That is crazy. That is irrational. We go back and forth and then suddenly my own gut pipes in and says, you guys shut up. I'm bleeding and suffering. Screw the medical establishment. So it's been decided, I'm joining Worm Club. The first rule of Worm Club is you don't talk about where you get your worms. So I know I'm I'm not violating that, I'm not violating it. Uh, You know, we're a little hush-hush because the FDA, shockingly, the FDA does not want people buying worms off the internet from strangers. They're a little worried about that. So if a package comes into customs and it says in big letters, worms for fun and profit, they're probably gonna confiscate that. So um, we don't offer too many details about the providers, but you know, the, when you go on the worm page, it, it provides a list of providers, and then they say you know, it's up to you to get in contact with them. So I get in contact with a provider, and I start with a type of uh, parasite called a pig whipworm. Now, this was the one that was studied the most because it's suited for pigs. It can't reproduce in humans, so they have more kind of control over it. Um, so you have to take these pig whipworm eggs every two weeks. Is how it works. So I order them. They arrive in like a little box with like these little shot glasses of salty liquid containing the eggs. And so every two weeks I take my shot, kyaam, you know, (laughs) and then um, I take the shot. And then uh, I do this for six months. You're supposed to. It takes a long time, supposedly, for it to work. And you know what? Nothing happened. Uh, I I didn't feel any weird side effects. Like I had an infection, and but my Disease was still there, I was still bleeding. Uh, At that point, I decided to make some other changes. I changed my diet, I started taking a different type of antidepressant that helped with inflammation, and that helped. I didn't have to go to the bathroom so many times a day, but I was still bleeding. And I wanted perfection. Now the good news is there's multiple flavors of worms you can choose from. Um, if the pig warp worms don't work, let's go to the classic. Co classic is hookworms. And so uh, hookworms, you know, they, they would naturally get in people, we would walk in dirt that's been contaminated with someone else's poop and then they burrow into you and that's the classic way to get hookworms. But um, for this, you know, basically these providers, they filter the hookworms through soil and then um, put it in like a little sterile liquid and that was what I, what I used. So okay, the wor- we're back to January, the worms are in my arm, what happens next? Almost instantly I start itching all over and break out in hives. I'm serious, this happened. I, my arms start itching and puff up my, my neck and my the tops of my toes and my legs. I'm itching like crazy, and I'm not someone who's ever had skin allergies or any problems with my skin. Oh my God, what did I do? What did I do? Oh my God, okay, so I check in with Worm Club, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that can happen. Your immune system's gonna freak out for a little bit when it meets the worms, and eventually they're gonna re- uh, kind of reach a peace accord. Um, until that happens, you know, people get kind of crazy side effects. They can get itchy. Their diarrhea can get worse. They might feel achy and the brain fog, something that they call the worm flu. Um, all sorts of things can happen, but the good news is it will pass. And once they reach this agreement, that you won't get these symptoms ever again. Okay, great. This will pass. So how long is it going to take before it passes? Well, um, it's different for everyone. It's really different. Um, it could last a couple weeks or maybe months or six months or maybe a year or more. We don't know. Everybody's different. And this is the consistent message from Worm Club. They try to be truthful. They're not like, this is a miracle drug. They're saying, you know, everybody's different. Everybody's got a different immune system. It is different for everyone. So am I going to itch for a year? No. I itch for two weeks. I mean, that's pretty good. It was a crazy two weeks, but it just cleared up just like that. And, And then something else happened a few weeks later. I become normal, like really normal. No more blood. My immune system is a well-oiled machine. I feel good. That's awesome. Thank you. I didn't want to believe it. I had no expectations, but I felt like, am I cured? No, I'm not cured. A few months later, the symptoms return. Okay, what's going on? I check in with Worm Club. Yes, um, some people can keep their colony for years. Other people have to add more worms every few months because, as it turns out, my body's really good at kicking them out. And you need to maintain a certain size of colony to help your symptoms because they're sitting there and they're basically, like, exuding these chemicals that help you, I guess, help calm down the immune system. So I need to get more worms. I get more worms, and sure enough, symptoms are gone for another four months. And that brings us to September. Symptoms are back. I seem to have a pattern here. It seems like every three to four months, I have to add some more. Um, and that's fine, because in those three to four months, I'm totally normal. And if this pattern holds, I have a medicine for life, a medicine with no side effects. It makes me feel good. And I've checked in with a couple of people who have done this, and there's some people who have been doing this more than 10 years, and they're still good. Nothing crazy came out of it. They just maintain their colony and their symptoms are not there. And so, I'm, I'm really happy about this for multiple reasons. Obviously, I feel good, I feel normal, and that's great. And then secondly, I feel like I was rewarded for bad behavior, you know, like I totally broke the rules. I must be smarter than the doctors. Um, no, no, I'm not smarter than the doctors. The, I talked to my doctor about this. You always need to talk to them. And he was kind of like, eh, you know, he'd kind of heard of the research, but he was like, please don't buy from strangers. And you know, the and that's reasonable. I expected that from a doctor. That's what a doctor has to do, do no harm. And if someone's like, well, I totally found a guy on the internet, he just like opened up his coat and was like, parasites for sale, and that's great. Um, and so, yeah, the doctor's kind of like, okay, just, just please, please be careful. careful. So, But then I talked to other scientists and doctors and they all were really excited about it. You know, that some people are trying to work on a pill based on these chemicals. And I talked to them and they said, you know, I can't officially tell you to do this, but if I was suffering like you were, I would do it too. So, you know, it wasn't just me being crazy. I I have something that works. And I know it's gross. I know it's super gross. But, you know, the world, being alive is gross, you guys. Being alive is super gross. We're oozing. The Earth is like this oozing giant thing, and everybody's gross. And we all have gross feelings, and life is gross. Uh, (laughs) And that's just how we are, you know? What helped is I used to think of my body as like a machine, and if something broke, that was it. But really, we're not machines, we're ecosystems. We're not one creature, but many. And we're basically all just trying to survive. Thank you.
2: That was Leah Schaefer. Leah is a freelance science writer based in St. Louis whose stories have appeared in Wired, The Atlantic, and Discover magazines. She writes about biology, medicine, and the weird critters inside and outside the human body. You can read about her complaints and schemes on Twitter as Leah A.B. Schaefer. Our next show at the Ready Room in St. Louis is coming up next week on March 7th. The theme is Best Laid Plans. You can check out storycollider.org for tickets and more information. If you enjoyed today's stories or a fan of the podcast, please consider writing us a review on iTunes. It helps us climb the rankings and that helps new listeners find the podcast, and we really want to share these stories with as many people as we can. The Story Collider is grateful for the support of the Tiffany & Co. Foundation and of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. The Story Collider is directed by Liz Neely and me, Erin Barker, with help from our amazing staff and volunteers. The stories featured in today's podcast were from shows produced by Shane Hanlon, Liz Neely, Eli Chin, and Zach Stovall. The podcast is produced by Zoe Saunders. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to busboys and poets in the Ready Room for hosting these shows, and to all the creative thinkers out there. You make the world a more interesting place. Thanks for listening.